This is a podcast by Lumina, the perfect space to innovate, collaborate and grow in health, science and tech. Scott Chapman, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You describe yourself as a serial business creator and you're ranked in the top 100 young entrepreneurs in the country. You're CEO of SS Group, which is a parent company that owns and operates several Zambrero's restaurants here in southeast Queensland. And you consult to new business operators. You've recently stepped into the digital world and created a wellness program for people living with disability. We're going to talk about this program a little later. But I want to start at the beginning by asking about the first business that you created. Yeah, it's, it's um, it, it takes me back a little bit that one actually, because you know, as an entrepreneur, you always have a number of success and non-success stories that kind of get you to where you, you got to. And um, the very first business I created was a business called Talent Brothers, and it was a side hustle when I was working in employment services. And that business was set up to market athletes effectively, so we were representing current and former um, Olympians and trying to book them skip speaking effectively. And I learned a lot out of that in, in terms of how to fail uh, and it failed pretty quickly. <laughs> um, yeah. So we then transitioned into um, the organization that I was in for quite a long time. It was called Burnfit Industries. And Burnfit Industries was a business that was set up to import rehabilitation equipment for athletes and also provide training platforms for high level boxers. Uh, and we worked with a bunch of world champions uh, who were Australian based boxers, but based in America. Uh, and we traveled to the UK and, uh, and America with those guys, which was really awesome. And funnily enough, Tim Black, who was also a co-director of ABLE, um, was my co-founder in that business as well. And that was where we started um, our sport journey, I suppose, or understanding the importance of exercise and nutrition. And because we were working with uh, Defence Force in rehabilitation services with these products as well, it really gave us a good grounding of, you know, how much rehabilitation requirements are out there and, and how little access there was to equipment even at that point in time. The Aussie dollar effectively killed us in that business and we got to a point where importing from the US became cost prohibitive and we couldn't get our hands on enough stock and and startup world kind of put us in a point where, you know, cash flow is king and if you don't have it correctly, then it can can squash your business really quickly. But again, we learned a lot. We we understood that the importance of um, health and wellness and fitness and it kind of ended up ultimately pushing us to where we got to today. So then you bought a franchise to a Zambrero's Mexican restaurant. Yeah. Why did you decide to move into the hospitality industry? That's Yeah, it's an interesting one as well. So I was still working in media at that point in time and the whole Zambrero um, direction was also a side hustle. And part of where we'd failed in our previous businesses was understanding the requirement for cash flow and how important cash you know, was to having um, businesses succeed. And you know, hospitality was never something that I'd done previously. And it also wasn't something that greatly excited me, but... What did excite me about hospitality was that if you structured those kind of businesses correctly, you could get really good cash flow, you could get really good autonomy, and that could potentially fund the projects that we really wanted to work on. So then when we started looking at businesses, you know, franchising is a very simple way to get into businessing. There's a lot of process that's already set up and in place for you. And then we then started to break down, right, what franchises would be what we would want to work in. I love Mexican food, which is which is always a big benefit. But at the same time, Zombreros has a wonderful ethos in terms of its philanthropy approach to, to, to business and, you know, for every meal they sell, they donate a plate of food to someone in need. 
So Zambreros as an organisation to date have donated around 53 million meals to, to people in need all across the world. And our restaurants have contributed around two, 2 million meals to that total, which is really cool. So, you know, for us looking at an opportunity to have a number of businesses that were cash flow positive that could fund out what we wanted to do and also give back at the same time was what really ticked the box for us. So Zambreros is where we went. So you were straddling, I guess, at that stage still, weren't you? So oh, you're still in yeah. radio, still run, and that's massive. Yeah, it's, you know, how I I still have a wife. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I was working. I was working full time um, as a general manager of sales. I had two restaurants. I had two kids. I had a wife. It was crazy. And you know, I I had this innate desire to just want to continue to grow. So we ended up having eight restaurants over the course of sort of four years. We were the largest multi-site franchise owners in the country at one point in time. We we're international franchise partners of the year a number of years in a row, and a lot a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication. But again, there was there was an end goal in mind for us, right? And that, that focus was how can we continue to give back, which, you know, if, if you have a look at what I've done previously and what I'm still aiming to do in the future, a lot of it centers around that, you know, like what can what can we do in order to give back to people who might not necessarily have what they need at that point in time. You still have Zambrero's restaurants yeah, today? Yeah, yes. We've got one in Toowoomba. We just sold one. Um, we've got um, three here on the Gold Coast still. Um, don't intend on doing any more, uh, but they're still great businesses. And, and you know, we have the, the luxury of employing a whole bunch of young people and helping them get to where they want to get to in life. And um, we have managers and a general manager who we profit share into our business and ultimately the, the desire is for, for those individuals to buy little pieces of our business office over a period of time so we can help them get into their own entrepreneurial kind of world because, you know, we had some great opportunities afforded to us to get us to where we are today. So again, we're trying to give back in that way at the same time. So Scott, then in 2016, you became a director of Brave Hearts, which is a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to protecting children. Why did you decide to jump into this sector? A number of reasons, actually. And then recalling my time at Brave Hearts, and reasons behind it is, is a pretty emotional kind of thing for me. But, you know, the first and foremost is, is one in five kids in Australia will be sexually abused before they're 18. So just process that statistic for a moment. It's a horrifying statistic. And, you know, what's what's more horrifying about it is we're in Australia. We're not in a third world country. We're not, you know, you know we're in an environment where this, this shouldn't happen, but it still does quite regularly. Child sex abuse and, and child sex exploitation is non-discriminative as well. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't discriminate by race or, or gender or um, your, your, your status in a community. It's, it's literally everywhere. And, you know, at the point in time, um, you know, my sister was, was sexually abused as a child by our cousin and it ruined her life. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, but, you know, so I, I stopped and I looked at that and I met Hetty Johnson, who, who was a, an exceptional human, and I thought to myself, well, if, if people like me don't get involved in whatever way we can, then then organisations like these do struggle in order to be really, really successful. And if organisations like these aren't successful, then who makes change, right? I had a big conversation with Hetty and she asked me to join the board at that point in time. And my focus when I joined was, wasn't so much corporate restructure, but it was about trying to corporatise a not-for-profit business, right? Because traditionally not-for-profits don't want to be perceived like they're making a lot of money because people then judge the fact that they are. A lot of the time, um, individuals don't understand the inner workings of a lot of not-for-profits in terms of you have to pay people what their value is in a normal normal community. Otherwise, you won't get high-level individuals. And if you don't have high-level individuals who run businesses well, then that business won't succeed in what it was doing. Now, my role on the board, along with all of the other directors in the chair, uh, who are all exceptional people as well, was all voluntary. We, we never got paid, never expected to. But, you know, we then reshaped the organisation in terms of its commercial viability. And my role in particular was to help 
find uh, a better strategy around monetization and, and creating more revenue and, and not just about, hey, donate to Bravehearts, but it was all around trying to leverage corporate partners and, and give back to them in a way that was, you know, as rewarding for them from a philanthropy perspective, but also rewarding for them in terms of they physically got something as a business in return for their investment. And we did that really well. So we we restructured the executive team in terms of brought on a new CEO and a new head of community engagement. And they, you know, they had, they've had the most successful three or four years that they've ever had across probably what is the most three or four challenging years that anyone has, has had. Um, the board had a restructure and, you know, we really focused heavily on on outcomes for the organization, which then in turn focused on outcomes for, for individuals and children, you know, and wait lists for our therapeutic services went right down and, and we ultimately helped a hell of a lot more kids than what we would have in the first place. So, you know, it's a wonderful organization. And if anyone listening, you know, wants to try and find an organization to donate some money to, Bravehearts is one that you should. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story with us. So you've finished up with Bravehearts now. Yeah. And before you did that though, you created Able Digital Wellness. Why the move into disability? It's, it's, again, it's kind of all semi-interlinked to a degree. Part of my sister's challenge across the course of her life was having two children very young. One of those children uh, has an intellectual disability uh, and he grew up with that. Mum and dad raised him. And then as I as I was watching him transition into becoming an adult uh, in, in terms of body, not mind, I started to recognise that there was a whole bunch of sexualization needs that he needed to have addressed in order to prevent dangerous kind of behavior because he didn't understand how he, how he needed to feel. But I also recognized that his disability wasn't necessarily a product of her abuse as a child, but him not having a mother across the course of his life was, you know, and as important as it was for me to continue my work in, in child protection, um, Bravehearts was in a really good point in its life and it didn't need me. So I was quite happy to step out of there and go, well, what can I now do in a disability space where someone might need me? And Dan was, uh, he was turning 19. So he was leaving mum and dad, my, my parents' house uh, and moving into his own SILS environment, which is supported independent living. And when he was entering there, um, you know, COVID was about to kick in. And what we noticed was he was putting on a lot of weight. He wasn't making good food choices. He wasn't making good health choices. And and I stopped and I looked at the, the cohort of individuals that were around him and went, you know, there's a pretty common theme here, you know, like there's a lot of people who are overweight in the industry. There's a lot of individuals who are NDIS participants who are overweight in the industry. And, and, and there's, a, there's a number of reasons for that. But when I tried to find a mainstream platform that was, you know, that Dan had the cognitive ability to understand to try and focus on healthy outcomes for him, very difficult to find one. And it was also then very difficult to find one that his support workers had the motivation or the understanding to help implement with him. So I then decided to quit everything that we were doing and build our own. And that was how Able Digital Wellness was was born. You know, our, our whole view at Able is we, we, we aren't setting out to attempt to make athletes or Olympians, but what we want to do is give individuals with any kind of disability, whether you have an NDIS plan or not, access to tools and resources that help you make healthier choices in life. And whether that's around inclusive exercise or inclusive activity, right down to how to, um, you know, choose different items when you go shopping that might be healthier than the last items, you know. Uh, and then at the same time, what we really understood was we needed to support support workers and carers and family members, right? Because not everybody you know, knows how to focus on their own health and well-being. sometimes. So it's very difficult for them to then focus on somebody who has an intellectual or physical disabilities um, health outcomes as well. So, you know, partnering with organisations like Griffith University and individuals like Dr. Dinesh Palapana um, have afforded us the opportunity to create content that's really specific for support workers as well to educate them on the best ways to provide healthier choice and control. Just tell us a little bit more about Able Digital Wellness then, if you can go back to the beginning of yeah. that. Is it a, it's an online 
online platform? Correct, yeah. So it's a web-based platform and we did that purposefully to make it easier accessible across multiple different channels. And and what we do is we provide weekly exercise, nutrition and mental wellness content to um, people with a disability. So when you come along and subscribe to our, our platform, and again, generally speaking, it's covered under your NDIS plan. When you come along, you will tell us who you are and your age and, and your goals and you'll tell us about your range of movement and you'll tell us how you identify your disability. And, and why those things are important to us is because we want to make sure that the exercise content that we deliver to you each week is as bespoke for you as it can be while still generic and, and, and general in nature, but to give you the best outcome or, or the most motivation to continue to engage with it. And then by discussing with us how you identify your disability, it helps us to populate dietary content that's again relevant to you. Because if you're in a wheelchair for a spinal cord injury or multiple sclerosis, your dietary requirements for both of those two things are very different. So our platform is definitely specific to disability cohorts and movement range while still generic enough in nature for us to keep the cost really low and have a minimal impact on your plan. But then it gives us the opportunity to give as many people as possible access to, to what they need. So people get a tailored plan every week. To a degree, yeah. Yeah. So again, if you uh, have someone uh, who has very limited or no lower body mobility, um, then you'll be delivered content that's relevant for our our wheelchair-based program. So everything then is focused on core type work or thoracic stretching or, you know, upper body strength and mobility. You know, we're we're not here to go, hey, you'll lose 20 kilos in five weeks by being a part of our program. What we want to do is just, you know, give people positive association with movement, right? Because if you're doing, you know, lifting your arms above your head, even just 10 times this week and you weren't doing it last week, then that gives you 10 times more mobility this week than what you had last week. So we're already on our path to, to creating healthier lifestyles and outcomes. And and in particular in the, the intellectual disability cohort of individuals, you know, preventable death in that cohort is phenomenal, right? Like people who have health-related issues that are preventable, people who are being admitted to hospital for health-related issues that are preventable, and a lot of it centers around poor health and, and poor dietary and, and lack of movement and mobility. And there's a number of reasons why that occurs. But again, the idea behind ABLE is to make it as accessible as possible, as cheap as possible, as generic as possible, while still being specific, if that makes any sense at all. You're listening to Health Tech Talks, a podcast series delivered by Lumina. To find out more about Lumina, visit the website luminagoldcoast.com.au and sign up today to receive your Lumina Opportunities Pack. So you were a participant in the Health Tech Accelerator program Lumina X yep. in 2021. What are the tangible outcomes this program brought to your business? So many, you know, and, and I look back at our time uh, at Talent Brothers and, and Burnfit and, and, and companies like that that we'd started years ago and thought to myself that if we'd, if we'd had a Lumina X at that point in time, the difference it would have made for us. And, and look, don't get me wrong, I, I think that our business would have succeeded whether we were in Lumina X or not. The big difference was that we had so much more structure, so much more advice, and we probably got to where we were going to 12 months quicker by having Lumina X without a doubt, you know, having access to, to mentors across a whole different number of industries um, who were happy to give us advice around the clock made a very big difference. You know, it gave us the opportunity to structure our pitches correctly when it came to capital raising. Uh, And still today, I think we're like three months or something out of the program. And I'm still in here today talking to other members who, who went through the platform for the program, sorry, with us and working on their own health tech platforms. And we're still gathering ideas. And so, you know, the the tangible outcome really for us was structuring a really good um, cap raising pitch where we got money. So we filled our first 
round um, instantly. We had multiple companies vying for to buy into us, which was great. And then, you know, having a connection of individuals post the program that could still focus on outcomes for our business was, was amazing. So, you know, like I'd been around business a lot and I'd done a lot in my lifetime, but when you literally build something from an idea from scratch, from day one, ground up and you're bootstrapping, you've got no money and you're trying to pull people in and around you to have some experience, you know, you're sitting here and you're going, where does this end, you know, and how can I create better process and better structure? And, you know, generally speaking again, you know, all entrepreneurs go through the same kind of thing to a degree. And when you add three kids at home and other business and a wife who's going, Hey honey, are you coming home at all today? Um, (laughs) you know, yeah, you remember me, um, having structure and accountability and guidance, you know, made such a difference. And if we could have been a part of Luminar X for 12 months instead of three, it would have been even better. Um, but we took the three months for sure. Yeah. And with the capital raising, yeah. that would have been so much harder, I'm assuming, without this opportunity through oh, we, X. Look, um, you know, I'm a salesman at heart and that's why I cut my teeth in media sales. And so I would have pitched to people and asked for their money without a doubt. That wouldn't have been a problem. But structuring it in the way that we did here, determining what evaluation of your business was before you really started turning over revenue, how to structure a cap table, um, how to work on employee share option programs to make sure that you were getting the right people involved in your organisation at the right time. All of those things were so foreign to us. And without a program like this, it would have meant that we, we were probably underselling ourselves massively. We still would have raised the money that we like set out to achieve, but it would have been probably half of what we got because we weren't doing it right, because we didn't place the same level of value on our business that we could have. You mentioned Dr. Dinesh Palapana before, and he's an incredible Queenslander. He's Queenslander of the year. He's the first quadriplegic medical intern in Queensland, and he's doing some amazing research. He is, yep. Um, Amazing research here on the Gold Coast into spinal cord injury, particularly with rehabilitation techniques. Yep. What role has Dinesh played in Able Digital Health and how has his mentoring and endorsement supported your team? Yeah, D- Dinesh is a wonderful human and, you know, you kind of, when you, you think he's like 50 years old because of everything that he's done and the things that he talks about and then you realise his age and you go, this guy's even more, more crazily phenomenal than I thought he was. Dinesh has helped us across a number of areas, right? So he identifies completely the need for our, our business in the fact that there's a disparagingly large health gap between people with and people without a disability and no one's really focused on trying to address that. You know, there's 800 odd thousand people in the country who have diabetes, 400,000 of those have disability, you know, and if you stop someone going from pre-diabetes to type 2 diabetes, there's a saving of around $7,000 per annum per person to the federal government in terms of, you know, extended health costs if we, if we can stop that, right? So when we started talking to Dinesh about what we were trying to do, he his view was I need to be involved in some way, shape or form because I can see that there's a large problem here that needs to be addressed. So Dinesh for us has obviously given us a lot of insight in and around, you know, living with a disability, being someone who is quadriplegic and in a wheelchair and the challenges that he faces, but also opening us up to a a world and a different network of individuals that he have who also believe in what it is that we're that we're trying to do. Um, and interestingly, you mentioned research before. So the connection with Dinesh has also put us in in a really good partnership position with the Hopkins Centre for Research, which is a part of Griffith and Menzies Health, um, in and around that rehabilitation research and, and research around individuals with a disability, whether it be spinal cord or acquired brain injury and things like that. And tying in other wonderful humans like Professor Elizabeth Kendall and, and Dinesh together, you know, gives us a really good sounding board to go, you know, this is where we believe we're going and for what reasons, but using their expertise and their experience and their guidance as 
well means that we might get there quicker, but we know that we're definitely going to have more tangible outcomes that are legitimately going to help people faster. And that's ultimately what our business was set up to do. Scott, what's your advice to other entrepreneurs and self-starters thinking to enter the industry? I think the biggest thing is is being able to self-critique, you know, drop your ego, leave it at the door. Uh, one of the big things for us was having the ability, you know, you can enter a Luminar X program and be given all the advice under the world. But if, if your ego isn't in check, you can sit there and go, what do you know about my business? I, I built this business. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. And you probably can, you know, but at the end of the day, the idea about getting into health tech accelerators or accelerators in general is to not have to spend a boatload of money to get a whole bunch of advice from people who are probably smarter than you to a degree. Uh, well, they definitely were smarter than me. And, you know, that is a big thing, you know, checking your ego at the door, making sure you've got a good plan and a good strategy. And and my my big view, which again, you can see across everything that we've done is, is having an outcome that has a, a philanthropic approach to it, you know, because if you're going into business purely to make money, then you know what, you probably will and you can be content with, with all your money at some point in time. You know, my view is, and I think the view of the larger world right now is if we can continue to create businesses that give back and we can continue to create businesses that are there for purpose, profit for purpose is okay. You know, if, if you're using it to help somebody who can't necessarily help themselves. And my whole view, you know, from, from day one was if we could get that part right and we can help people who need that assistance then people will support us. And we've, we've seen that so far. It seems to really be about legacy for you. Absolutely. You know, it's, someone told me a long time ago about writing your own obituary, which kind of seemed really weird, but it's also not. You know, like if you if you sit back and you stop and you go, how do you legitimately want to be remembered? I don't want to be remembered as some entrepreneurial guy that made a boatload of money. You know, I don't I don't want to be remembered for any part of money. Money's a natural part of the world, however, and and in order for me to accomplish the things that I want to within my family and and for the greater good, I need money. That, that's a given. But absolutely, I want to I want to be remembered as somebody who spent a whole bunch of time trying to give back to people who needed to be given back to. And I want to teach my kids that same, that, that same theory, because, you know, for me, if we can all subscribe to that and, and we can teach our younger generations to focus on people around them rather than themselves, I think that ultimately we will rebuild a better world again and a world that's not so selfish. That would be nice. It would be very nice. <laughs> Scott, we're doing this interview from cohort in the middle of Lumina development on the Gold Coast, yep. a lovely spot. As a local entrepreneur, what are your thoughts about Lumina? I think the whole precinct's wonderful. And it, what, interestingly, I didn't know much about it prior to, to being a part of the Luminar X experience. And, you know, again, once you arrive here and just even watching the ecosystem here grow from when we were here months ago to what it is now, just really demonstrates the, the amount of money and time and effort that's being put into growing local entrepreneurs first and foremost. Uh, but also it goes to show how many people there are out there wanting to genuinely make a difference because the majority of us who are here and are, are a part of, I think it's Start Startmate um, that, that's here now as well, you know, are all trying to make a difference uh, and that's the coolest part about it you know like I think I think what it is now and, and what it will be over the years to come is going to be something truly special. And how do you think Lumina can amplify the opportunity to other health tech entrepreneurs like you? That's a tough one you know because I think everybody uh, wants different things when they arrive at places to, to get out of and and for us you know we got out of Lumina X exactly what we, we hope to get out of it so I kind of look at it and I go I don't think they need to do anything other than make these programs more available as often as possible, you know, potentially have follow-up programs. So, you know, for, for us and a lot of the people who started when we did, um, you know, we were all very, very ground level and, and uh, had MVPs and we were just getting to market. Um, you know, there's a 
there's a lot to be said that once you've gone through six and 12 months and of growth, you know, how you then scale up and go from there again. So seeing perhaps secondary programs that weren't programs necessarily that you needed to apply to be in, but they were automatic re-entry for individuals who had gone through the original process. I think there's a great opportunity there to continue to grow and foster those kind of individuals for sure. Scott's been absolutely wonderful talking with you. Congratulations on your business and I can't wait to see where it goes. Thank you so much and appreciate everything that Luminrex has done for us and, and state government. It's been wonderful. So thank you. To learn more about Lumina and how we work with health tech startups, visit luminagoldcoast.com.au and don't forget to sign up to receive your Lumina Opportunities Pack today. 